Chapter Four of Love Insurance by Earl Durrick Biggers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Four. Mister Trimmer limbers up. At the desk of the Delay Pax, Mister Minot learned that for fifteen dollars a day he might board and lodge amid the splendors of that hotel. Gratefully, he signed his name. One of the Negro boys who had matched coins for him with the other boy while he registered, led the way to his room. It proved a long and devious journey. The Hotel de la Pax was a series of afterthoughts on the part of its builders. Up hill and down dale the boy led, through dark passageways, over narrow bridges, until, at length, they arrived at the door of 389. My boy, muttered Minot, feelingly i congratulate you henry m stanley in the flower of his youth couldn't have done any better yes sir the boy threw open the door of a narrow cell at the farther end of which a solitary window admitted the well-known florida sunshine minot stepped over and glanced out where the gay courtyard with its green palms waving its fountain tinkling not visible from three eight nine instead Minot saw a narrow street, its ancient cobblestones partly obscured by flourishing grass and bordered by quaint, top-heavy Spanish houses, their plaster walls a hundred colors from the indignities of the years. We seem to have strayed over into Spain, he remarked. The bellboy giggled. Yes, sir, we one block and a half from the hotel office. I didn't notice any taxis in the corridors, smiled Minot. Here, wait a minute. He tossed the boy a coin. Your fare back home. If you get stranded on the way, telegraph. The boy departed, and Minot continued to gaze out, directly across from his window, looking strangely out of place in that dead and buried street, stood a great stone house that bore on its front the sign Manhattan Club and Grill. On the veranda, flush with the sidewalk and barely fifteen feet away, a huge, red-faced man sat deep in slumber many and strange pursuits had claimed the talents of old tom stacy manager of the manhattan club ere his advent in san marco the too active district attorney had forced the new york police to take a keen interest in his life and works hence mr stacy's presence on that florida porch but such troubles were forgotten for the moment he slumbered peacefully secure in the knowledge that the real business of the club would not require his attention until darkness fell. His great head fell gradually farther in the direction of his generous waist, and while there is no authentic evidence to offer, it is safe to assume that he dreamed of Broadway. Suddenly, Mr. Stacy's head took another tilt downward, and his Panama hat slipped off to the veranda floor. To the gaze of Mr. Minot, above, there was revealed a bald pate extensive and gleaming. The habitual smile fled from Minot's face. A feeling of impotent anger filled his soul, for a bald head could recall but one thing. Jefferson. He strode from the window, savagely kicking an innocent suitcase that got in his way. What mean trick was this fate had played him as he entered San Marco, to show to him the one girl in all her glory and sweetness, to thrill him through and through with his discovery, and then to send the girl scurrying off to announce her engagement to another man. Scurvy, he called it, 
but scurvier still that it should be the very engagement he had hastened to san marco to bring to its proper close i do and mendelssohn he sat gloomily down on the bed what could he do what save keep his word given on the seventeenth floor of an office building in new york no man had yet had reason to question the good faith of a minot his dead father at the beginning of his career had sacrificed his fortune to keep his word and gone back with a smile to begin all over again what could he do nothing save grit his teeth and see the thing through he made up his mind to this as he bathed and shaved and prepared himself for his debut in san marco so that when he finally left the hotel and stepped out into san sebastian avenue he was cheerful with a dogged boys stood on the burning deck cheerfulness a dozen negroes their smiles reminiscent of tooth-powder advertisements vainly sought to cajole him into their shaky vehicles with difficulty he avoided their pleas and strolled down san marco's main thoroughfare on every side clever shopkeepers spread the net for the eagle on the dollar jewelers shops flashed modistes hinted milliners begged to present their latest creations he came presently to a narrow cross street where humbler merchants catered to the coney instinct that lurks in even the most affluent of tourists there gaudy souvenir stores abounded the ugly and inevitable alligator fallen from his proud estate to fireside slipper wallet cigar case umbrella stand photograph album and lord knows what was headlined in the street picture postcards hung in flocks tintype galleries besought newsstands soda water fountains and cheap boarding-houses stood side by side and every few feet mr minot came upon the oldest house in san marco on his way back to the hotel in front of one of the more dazzling modiste shops he saw a limousine drawn up to the curb and in it jack paddock friend of his college days paddock leapt blithely from the machine and grasped dick minot by the hand you here he cried foolish question commented mr minot yes i know said mr paddock been here so long my brain's a little flabby but i'm glad to see you old man same here mr minot stared at the car i say jack did you earn that writing fiction paddock laughed i'm not writing much fiction now he replied the car belongs to mrs helen bruce the wittiest hostess in san marco he came closer my boy he confided i have struck something essentially soft some time soon in a room with all the doors and windows closed and the weather strips in place i'll whisper it to you i've been dying to tell somebody and the car part of the graft dick here comes mrs bruce now did i mention she was the wittiest of course i did want to meet her well later then you're at the packs i suppose see you there mr minot moved on from the eminence of mrs bruce a moment later the limousine sped by him one seat was generously filled by the wittiest hostess in san marco seated opposite her mr paddock waved an airy hand life had always been the gayest of jokes to mr paddock life was at the moment quite the opposite to dick minot he devoted the next hour to sad introspection in the lobby 
It was not until he was on his way in to dinner that he again saw Cynthia Meyrick. Then, just outside the dining-room door, he encountered her, still all in white, lovelier than ever, in her cheek a flush of excitement no doubt put there by the most important luncheon of her life. He waited for her to recognize him, and he did not wait in vain. Ah, Mr. Minot. Of course, in the hurry of this noon I quite overlooked an introduction. I am Miss Cynthia Merrick. I happen to know because I met his lordship in New York. May I ask, was the luncheon? Quite without a flaw. So you know Lord Harrowby? Um, slightly. May I offer my very best wishes? So good of you. Formal, formal, formal. Was that how it must be between them hereafter? Well, it was better so. Miss Meyrick presented her father and her aunt, and that did not tend to lighten the formality. Icicles, both of them, though stocky, puffing icicles. Aunt inquired if Mr. Minot was related to the Minots of Detroit, and when he failed to qualify, at once lost all interest in him. Old Spencer Meyrick did not accord him even that much attention. Yet all was not formal, as it happened, for as Cynthia Myrick moved away, she whispered, I must see you after dinner on important business, and her smile, as she said it, made Minot's own lonely dinner quite cheery. At seven in the evening, the hotel orchestra gathered in the lobby for its nightly concert and after the way of orchestras it was almost ready to begin when minot left the dining-room at eight sitting primly in straight-backed chairs an audience gathered for the most part from the more inexpensive hostelries waited patiently presumably these people were there for an hour with music lovely made but it was the gowns of more material maids that interested the greater number of them and many drab little women sat making furtive mental notes that should while away the hours conversationally when they got back to akron or terre haute minot sat down in a veranda chair and looked out at the courtyard in the splendor of its evening colors it was indeed the setting for romance in the midst of the green palms and blooming things splashed a fountain which might well have been the one old ponce de leon sought on three sides the lighted towers and turrets of that huge hotel climbed toward the bright warm southern sky a dazzling moon shamed mr edison's lamps the breeze came tepid from the sea the very latest in waltzes drifted out from the gorgeous lobby here romance minot thought must have been born mr minot i've been looking everywhere she was beside him now a slim white figure in the dusk the one thing lacking in that glittering picture. He leapt to meet her. Sitting here dreaming, I reckon, she whispered, of somebody far away. No, he shook his head. I leave that to the newly engaged. She made no answer. He gave her his chair and drew up another for himself. Mr. Minot, she said, I was terribly thoughtless this noon, but you must forgive me. I was so excited. Mr. Minot, i owe you she hesitated minot bit his lip savagely must he hear all that again how much she owed him for his service for getting her to that luncheon in time that wonderful luncheon i owe you finished the girl softly the charges on that taxi 
it was something of a shock to minot was she making game of him don't he answered here in the moonlight with that waltz playing and the old palms whispering is this a time to talk of taxi bills but we must talk of something oh i mean i insist won't you please tell me the figure all the time we were together this morning i talked figures the figures on the face of the watch let us find some pleasanter topic i believe lord harrowby said you were to be married soon next tuesday a week from tomorrow in san marco yes it breaks auntie's heart that he can't be in detroit lord harrowby is her triumph you see but father can't go north in the winter allan wishes to be married at once minot was thinking hard so harrowby was auntie's triumph and was he not cynthia meyrick's as well he would have given much to be able to inquire suddenly with the engaging frankness of a child the girl asked has your engagement ever been announced mr minot why um not to my knowledge minot laughed why i was just wondering if it made everybody feel queer the way it makes me feel ever since one o'clock i ought never to say it i felt as though everything was over i've seemed old old she clenched her fists and spoke almost in terror i don't want to grow old i'd hate it it was here said minot softly ponce de leon sought the fountain of youth when you came up i was pretending the one splashing out there was that very fountain itself if it only were the girl cried oh you could never drag me away from it but it isn't it's supplied by the san marco waterworks and there's a meter ticking somewhere i'm sure and now mr minot i know you mean the thirty-five dollars i paid our driver i wish you would write me a check i've a reason thank you i wanted to so much i'll bring it to you soon she was gone and minot sat staring into the palms his lips firm his hands gripping the arms of his chair suddenly with a determined leap he was on his feet a moment later he stood at the telegraph counter in the lobby writing in bold flowing characters a message for mr john thacker on a certain seventeenth floor new york i resign we'll stay on the job until a substitute arrives but start him when you get this richard minot the telegram sent he returned to his veranda chair to think thacker would be upset of course but after all thacker's claim on him was not such that he must wreck his life's happiness to serve him even thacker must see that and the girl was she madly in love with a lean and aristocratic harrowby not by any means to judge from her manner next tuesday a week what couldn't happen in a minot stopped no that wouldn't do either even if a substitute arrived he could hardly with honor turn about and himself wreck the hopes of thacker and jephson he lost either way it was a horrible mix-up he cursed beneath his breath the red glow of a cigar nearby drew closer as the smoker dragged his chair across the veranda floor minot saw behind the glow the keen face of a man eager for talk some scene isn't it said the stranger sort of makes the musical comedies look cheap all it needs is seven stately chorus ladies walking out from behind that palm down to the left 
and it would have broadway lashed to the mast yes replied minot absently this is a real thing i've been sitting here thinking the other went on it doesn't seem to me this place has been advertised right why there are hundreds of people up north whose windows look out on sunset over the brewery people with money too who take the first train for here if they realize the picture we're looking at now get some good hustler to tell em about it he paused i hate to talk about myself but say ever hear of cotrell's ink eraser nothing ever written cotrell can't erase will not soil or scratch the paper if the words cotrell has erased were put side by side selling it selling it minot inquired wearily no but i made that eraser put it on every desk between new york and the rolling oregon after that i landed helot's bottled sauces and then patterson's lime juice puckered every mouth in america advertising is my specialty so i gather sure as you sit here have a cigar trimmer is my name never mind the jokes henry trimmer advertising specialist is your business flabby does it need a tonic try trimmer quoting from my letterhead he leaned closer excuse a personal question but didn't i see you talking with miss cynthia merrick a while back possibly mr trimmer came even closer engaged to lord harrowby i understand i believe so young fellow mr trimmer's tone was exultant i can't keep in any longer i got a proposition in tow so big it's bursting my brain cells and it takes some strain to do that no i can't tell you the exact nature of it but i will say this tomorrow night this time i'll throw a bomb in this hotel so loud it'll be heard round the world an anarchist not on your life advertiser and i've got something to advertise this hot february taken from me maybe you're a friend of miss meyrick well i'm sorry for when i spring my little surprise i reckon this harrowby wedding is going to shrivel up and fade away you mean to say you you're going to stop the wedding i mean to say nothing watch me watch henry trimmer just a tip young fellow well i guess i'll turn in get some of my best ideas in bed see you later and mr trimmer strode into the circle of light a fine upstanding figure of a man to pass triumphantly out of sight among the palms dazed dick minot stared after him a voice spoke his name he turned the slim white presence again holding toward him a slip of paper the check mr minot thirty-five dollars is that correct correct it's splendid because i'm never going to cash it i'm going to keep it really mr minot i must say good he came closer thacker and jephson faded new york was far away he was young and the moon was shining going to keep it always the first letter you ever wrote me and the last mr minot really i must go good night he stood there with the absurd check in his trembling fingers slowly the memory of trimmer came back a bomb what sort of a bomb well he had given his word there was no way out he must protect old jephson's interests but might he not wish the enemy success he stared off in the direction the advertising wizard had gone tremor old boy he muttered here's to your pitching arm 
End of chapter four.